Compliance Clarified, a podcast by Thomson Reuters Regulatory Intelligence. Hello and welcome to another episode of Thomson Reuters Regulatory Intelligence's Compliance Clarified podcast. My name is Susanna Hammond and I'm Senior Regulatory Intelligence Expert here at TRRI. As ever, I am delighted to welcome you to our podcast series, which covers the enormously wide range of topics impacting compliance officers. Now, the regulatory environment is ever changing for financial services around the world. And as we are all too well aware, it has become even more challenging for compliance officers during the pandemic. For this podcast, it gives me great pleasure to once again introduce my colleague, Mike Cowan. Mike has a wealth of compliance experience and will be discussing with me the five key risks for financial services firms around the world in 2021. Now, each year I do look into my crystal ball and think about what are likely to be some of the top concerns for financial services firms in the coming year. And that is completely regardless of sector or indeed geography. Now, 2020 really was a year for the history books, not necessarily in a good way. The speed at which the world changed as the profound impact of the pandemic became apparent was unprecedented. Equally unprecedented was the speed at which financial services firms and their regulators responded to seek to ensure that the associated risks to customers, employees and the wider world were all identified, mitigated and managed. 2020 also turned out to be a year of crisis management. And 2021 is set to be a year of learning the lessons and reassessing the how as well as the what for firms and their business activities. The firms that will have navigated the pandemic best are those with highly skilled in-house risk and compliance functions. The good and better practice in the management of operational risks is not set out in the black and white of rule books but often requires swift reinterpretation, analysis, business-specific tailoring, and indeed robust implementation to ensure all the practical ramifications, technological and otherwise, have been appropriately handled and can be evidenced. COVID-19 and the associated continuing uncertainty puts even greater emphasis on the need for risk and compliance officers to be front and centre for preparing their firms for any and all eventualities. Now, specific ramifications of geopolitical and other uncertainties can't, pretty much by definition, can't be planned for. But many of the unduly damaging challenges should be able to be mitigated by the deployment of those skilled resources, together with a robust suite of tested policies and procedures. The need for expert, knowledgeable senior managers, alongside those highly skilled risk and compliance functions, gains an even sharper focus with the growing automation of business processes sent against a backdrop of absolutely increasing personal accountability. Now, from my crystal ball gazing, the five key risks for financial services firms around the world include post-pandemic review, financial cybercrime, digital transformation and record keeping, skills, and then outsourcing. Now, kicking off with post-pandemic review, to put it in very simplistic terms, Regulators around the world are talking about the need for post-pandemic reviews and therefore, almost by definition, firms need to be thinking the same. Now, 
without a doubt, firms will have to make sure they can evidence they have done the right things in the right way when they were moving at speed to come to terms with the ramifications of the pandemic. But given post-pandemic reviews or even reviews as we go along, Mike, what should firms think about and what might good look like for a post-pandemic review? Uh, hi, Susanna. Um, before we get on to post-pandemic reviews, can I just, just put my own little context around the five key risks? I think that compliance officers um, at the turn of the year when they're looking at their regulatory plans for the coming year and looking at the regulatory risks that a firm faces, I, I think that any and all input um, opinion as to, the, uh, as to what risks compliance officers face is excellent. Uh, and I think you, you've got some some great some great key risks here, and I think that you know for, uh, compliance officers looking into the future, preparing for twenty twenty one, for updating uh, risk registers, for getting firms prepared for what regulators and other regulatory risks are coming at them. I think this is a great um, a f- a foundation for them to just to build their own thinking on that and apply this to their own firms knock-on effects to budgets and the regulatory landscape, you know, ever-changing, as you've said, you know, all of this, I think, is a, is, is a great input to compliance officers doing their thinking about what regulatory risks they're going to face this year. So I think if we start with post-pandemic review, as you've said, um, I think that, you know, the, the risk... This is really the risk of the of the work of the world changing. This is really the risk of the of of the um, working environment changing post the pandemic, and is largely a risk assessment within itself. So things to include uh, are things like uh, governance arrangements. Uh, do the arrangements that were put in place during the pandemic work? Have they worked? Will they work post the pandemic? So things like board and governance committee arrangements, risk management frameworks, uh, the culture of the firm, were there any tweaks, changes that were needed to that, the organisational structure and ownership of things, and then there's the control the control functions, you know, compliance, risk management, internal audit, were they as effective during the pandemic as they would be in business as usual? Things like operations and IT, um, obviously operational resilience and business continuity plans. Did they comply with regulatory guidance? Were there problems in that in that area? Uh, project management methodologies, were they able to continue or did they have to be um, um, shelved until a more appropriate time? Customer onboarding arrangements, third-party management arrangements, data management arrangements. Did all of those things work during the pandemic or were there things that were showstoppers that needed to be uh, changed, well, both for any future business disruptions but also within business as usual? Uh, people, um, people risk, for example, I mean, we've, all be, we've all become used to working from home. Um, did that work? How, how did that process uh, um, work and was that most effective and then there's the, the return to work I suppose we've had a bit of an in out over the last few months whereby f- some firms have, uh, uh, well some firms have worked all the way through some firms have stayed at home but have then um, um, returned to work at an appropriate time and then during these more latest lockdowns you know we're back those firms are back at home again what were those processes like 
did, did they work in the most efficient way? And then I suppose my final thing to say on the post-pandemic review is don't forget about people's skill sets. Were people in the right places at the right time? Did you have the right skill sets in place in your organisations to be able to manage the business disruptions uh, and to uh, uh, and to see a, an efficient and effective um, ongoing working arrangement? Uh, I think um, post-pandemic review definitely a, 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 a key risk for 2021 but in essence it's really a risk assessment within a risk assessment i'd agree and and that's a risk assessment where i think you have to have a very sharp eye on your ability to demonstrate compliance and evidence it despite all of the change in working practices people being in the different places things having changed at speed um, it, it's a very old chestnut, but if you can't evidence it and it wasn't documented in regulatory terms, it simply didn't happen. So I think that is a thread to work, be aware of in post-pandemic review when you are building your work plan. And indeed, when you have got to the end of your risk assessment and you are then communicating it to the board and perhaps also the regulators, be very aware of what you can truly evidence in all of that. Yeah, completely. I mean, I mentioned culture earlier, and it, and it all sort of goes to culture a little bit, because there's undoubtedly firms will have changed policies, procedures um, to reflect the new working environment, to try and underpin a cu the culture that they want to operate within uh, through, through the pandemic. And you're absolutely right. Those changes need to be appropriately documented, need to be appropriately evidenced so that when we come through this and the regulators get back to business as, as normal, they can see a firm that was well in control, that was um, plotting its, its way through the pandemic and making decisions with, with appropriate risk and control in, in mind. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um Moving on to cybercrime and financial cybercrime in particular, I mean, it, it is, is a sad but true fact that with any crisis, whatever sort it is, there is an inevitable rise in those who will seek to take advantage of it to perpetrate crime. And there is absolutely no doubt that the pandemic has been Exactly one of those crises. And the Financial Action Task Force even went so far uh, last year to put out a specific paper on the impact of the pandemic on financial crime and the ramifications of all of that in terms of fraud, cybercrime, misdirection or exploitation of government funds or international financial assistance, all of which created new proceeds for what for what um, FATF calls illicit actors. Now, the long and the short of it is that firms need to make sure they shore up their defences on cybercrime. Um, cyber resilience, cybercrime, cyber hygiene is another phrase that is coming to the fore. It is, I would suggest, a key issue for firms to make sure they have done not only the basics well, but they continue to have cybercrime as a priority in terms of risk and risk awareness and risk management. Again, Mike, what might good or even at least better practice look like for firms with regard to financial cybercrime? Well, I mean, you took the words right out of my mouth. I completely agree with you that in times of change, you know, the change always creates some form of opportunity for criminals. 
uh, and in a world that's changed so much through 2020, you know, in places, you know, this has been very fertile ground for them. And we've seen change in lots of different ways, you know, customer behaviours through fame, ways in which firms onboard customers, changes to security arrangements and, and general working practices. I mean, the list goes on. And undoubtedly, that as firms have changed, there has been chinks in that particular armour where criminals have tried to exploit. And, and as you say, uh, the Financial Action Task Force uh, pointed uh, quite a few of those out. Um, in fact, to add to your list, there were things like um, counterfeiting of medical goods, investment fraud, adapted cybercrime scams, exploitation of e economic stimuli, um, and, and uh, various things like that. And actually, FATFA said that that you know since the summer, the criminals' um, uh, methodologies ha have have changed in that they've shifted away from the SMS and and and, um, uh, and emailing phishing schemes and have now gone to to things like fake links to government stimulus packages, you know, and banks dis disrupting aid and infection rate maps and websites selling masks and all sorts of, 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 uh, of very disturbing things. In fact, um, when I was reading the FATFA report, there was one very disturbing case where it was reported that um, criminals were sending emails um, threatening not to divulge uh, per, uh, individuals' personal data, um, but if but if they didn't um, um, uh, respond to them, they would they would uh, they they threatened to infect them and their families with the, with the coronavirus. I mean, really, really horrible things thing, things like that. And I think from a firm's perspective, I think that that. They've got to um, uh, keep up to date with the regulations and they've got, got to keep up to date with the cyber controls within their firms. I know that um, that around the world, certain um, financial um, financial crime uh, regulators have, met, have tried to make it easier to operate regulations around customer onboarding and the type of checks that they're doing there. Um, but I think, and I think firms will have will have taken advantage of that, and quite rightly so. Um, but I think firms still need to do to 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 do the basics right here. They've still got to verify verify customers' identity. They've still got to um, uh, monitor transactions and make sure that 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 um, uh, that transactions are valid and and kosher. And they need to report suspicious activity or as as and when they see it. I, I, I see financial crime and especially cybersecurity as uh, an area where firms um, can't really take their foot off the gas here. They need they really need to be um, still uh, um, applying um, uh, rigorous controls, especially as we go into twenty twenty one and we, we 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 hit the uh, the uh, the outputs the consequences of the pandemic where we're going to see you know rising unemployment potentially uh, financial distress uh, increased bankruptcy maybe all of these things give increased motivation for uh, individuals to try and 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 and, and uh, implement uh, financial crime and so firms need to be equally on their guard to this to this increased threat and it, and in it's an increased threat that sadly is just not going to go away um, I mean, technology is an absolutely wonderful thing 
but it is the root cause of cyber risk and the associated financial crime. So firms have to manage and mitigate something that is, can be such a benefit for them, but they also have to understand the risks associated with it. Um, Completely. And, and, uh, and as we've chatted about in the past, um, um, the developments and the innovations in technology aren't going to stop, as you said. They, in fact, they're going to increase. Uh, the fintech, regtech space is a growing market and, and firms, um, large, partly because of the pandemic, um, are using the, the, the um, um, IT uh, solutions uh, more frequently. And that, as you quite rightly say, is just leads to greater exposure in this space. And, and continuing with the technology theme, um, digital transformation and record keeping. Now, digital transformation has absolutely been accelerated in the pandemic to great benefit to firms without question. I mean, there are some estimates that the digital transformation agenda has been accelerated by as much as three years, which is wonderful. But... You have to be sure you have got your cyber resilience under control, as we have just discussed. But I would like to suggest that something that has been traditionally something of a poor relation um, should be carried along on the crest of the wave of the digital transformation. And that poor relation is record keeping. I mean, record keeping is the sort of slightly dull, functional, rote task that is just so useful whenever you need to be able to prove that something has happened. I mean, I know that sounds like stating the obvious, but the number of enforcement actions, the number of compliance breaches, the number of issues and challenges that have been made multiple times worse because there hasn't been the demonstrable evidence there, there hasn't been the record um, created and maintained at the time to show that you've done the right thing in the right way. And if record keeping could become a priority or indeed the automation of record keeping could become a priority for firms in 2021, I think it will be an incredibly positive insurance policy against future issues because you will have the record that you've done the right thing in the right way. So, Mike, record keeping and digital transformation, marriage made in heaven? Well, you'd like to think so. I mean, they both they both deal with data in in their own particular ways, and uh, you'd you'd have thought that the growth in the fintech regtech space would have uh, would have covered applications that covered record keeping, and I'm sure there are there are them out there. In fairness, um, I think that the fintech that the, the Thomson Reuters regulatory intelligence fintech regtech and role of compliance report found that 70% of firms reported that the virus had increased their reliance on technolo technological solutions. Um, and as much as and as much as some of the record keeping fines are in the past, still firms, are, as you say, are falling foul of rec basic record keeping disciplines. Um, I think that uh, uh, for me, I think that they that that firms pick at record keeping a little in that if you look at the record keeping life cycle if you like so you've got creation of a record well all firms will have systems that have a standard temp templates for minutes and and uh, memos and other types of documents that they have 
And then you've got security and classification. And this is very important. Um, you know, keeping your, your data and records secure, whether that be personal data from a data protection perspective or your firm's own in-house operational strategic information. It's all uh, information that needs to be kept secure. And, you know, some of the larger firms um, perhaps will have, will have adopted classifications for, for, for use when circulating this data so that everybody knows how to treat this information as and when they get it across the, their desks. Um, uh, circulation of the information through email systems or uh, through databases or through more social media or, or whatever, whatever um, systems firms use for circulation, they need to be appropriate for the use of, and, uh, of that data of those records um storage i mean this is, this is what we're, we're touching on how you do you store your data is that secure do, are you using the cloud are you using something more local in in-house in have you got um, arrangements around your the, the manual data that that that, that you that the, the organization uses and then there's destruction and you know is that being done in a secure way is that being done on a, on a regular basis um um, and so, you know, all of this needs to be thought through by a firm so that that and this is, I suppose, the number of record keeping is that you can get data back. Or you can get records back from a system as and when you need it. Um, uh, for example, as and when the regulator asks for it, as and when there is a business need for it. And all of this creation through the destruction life cycle done well will help firms um, do that in the most appropriate way. And I guess, I suppose I want to leave this point on a final point, uh, which is um, around senior management responsibility. You mentioned personal accountability in your introduction, Susanna. And, you know, record keeping is fundamental to being able to evidence that senior managers have done the right things at the right time, have fulfilled their regulatory and operational responsibilities correctly and and aren't leaving themselves and the organisation open to, to regulatory scrutiny. And the more and more that um, senior management regimes around the world come online, and I know a number of countries already have them or are developing them, then the more and more regulators will look for evidence to how senior managers have um, have undertaken their business, especially in times of difficulty. Absolutely. And, and we're back. I, I'm repeating myself here, but if you can't evidence it in regulatory terms, it didn't happen. So I think if you your digital transformation program doesn't yet include a comprehensive look at record keeping and management, it's probably a very good idea to make sure it is included for the future. Now, we, we've covered an awful lot on the risks and the benefits and the what ifs of technology, but we've slightly skirted around perhaps one of the central threads with the use and indeed sadly abuse of technology and that's skill sets i mean you can have the best tech in the world but if you don't know how to use it properly what it can do and perhaps even more importantly what it can't or shouldn't do you're not going to get the best out of it so technical skills and technological skills are absolutely essential for firms and are growing more and more important um 
that is equally true for the regulators, which does mean that those technological skills, particularly at a senior, more strategic level, are definitely at a premium. So I would suggest for 2021, firms need to very much look at their skill sets, particularly at the senior levels and particularly with regard to technological skills. Now, Mike, skill sets is is always something that needs refreshing and looking at and reconsidering and continuing gap analysis. What could and should firms do about a technological skills gap? Well, you're absolutely right. I mean, I think skill set throughout the organisation is very important to keep on top of. The world uh, of financial services is ever-changing and there will be ever-changing opportunities that firms will want to take from a strategic perspective and those opportunities will require differing skill sets. Uh, I suppose the one that that springs out uh, to me, uh, which I think you mentioned, is technology and the need for um, all levels of an organisation, board uh, included, to have the necessary levels of of skill, of knowledge, of expertise um, on the the technological um, disciplines that the firm needs to be able to fulfil its strategy. Um, and it was interesting to note that in the uh, fintech, regtech, and role of compliance report, um, that there was thirty-one percent of firms had yet to invest in specialist technolo- technological skills at board level, but they knew it was needed. And I think that's a quite a low figure um, for firms uh, at board level who uh, are operating and will be operating quite um, in, in intricate technological applications um, and like and and I'm assuming therefore that the other 70 69 percent of those of, of those firms will be relying on some form of outside advice or outside expertise whether that be from internal IT departments or from outsourced specialists or, or advisors uh, I don't know that but that's another that, that's another route to go down when it comes to um, trying to um, increase your specialization at, at board level. Um, I think just just a word on the recruitment market though, uh, while we're on this 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 topic. And I think that the recruitment market, there are lots of different factors at the moment that make the recruitment market very difficult. Um, you know, there's the risk of continued automation um, with the shape um, and of firms and the roles within firms affecting what auto, what automation will and will not be um, um, implemented and getting the skills in place at the right time to be able to reflect that is quite difficult. Um, on the demand for, for resource side, there is a clamour for the same skills by all firms like technology. Um, and, but this has got to be balanced by um the potential reduction in budget, especially as we've been through the pandemic and as we've been through 2020, there may be less money in the kitty to devote to these sorts of roles and these sort of specialisms. I mean, on the resource supply side, I mean, optimistically next year, we may see more resource become available in in in, in various denominations. Um, I mean, as, as firms reshape because of the pandemic, then we, we may find that 
that uh, that specialisms individuals with certain specialisms become more available um that to, to, to take similar roles in other organizations where maybe they're not not as mature or more advanced or have, have the same sort of profile that the individual leaving an organization may have um, there's the this, the continued desire for greater diversity within all firms uh, and that again is 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 proving a difficult factor for the recruitment market in general and finally the impact on salaries as the financial effects of the pandemic take hold also cannot be be underestimated some of these roles especially at board level come at a premium and it may well be that firms just don't have that sort of money these days to be able to pay that sort of premium so um so something's got uh, something's got to give but I, but the fundamental point the fundamental risk about the skills that are necessary within a firm are one of the lifebloods of a firm you they can't operate financial services firms can't operate without staff and the staff need to be most effective which means that they need to have the specialist skills to be able to react and to deal with the, the challenges of the day yeah and and Absolutely, firms are going to have to prioritise where they spend their money and it's more than likely there will be less money available. But I think investing in skills, particularly technological skills, is a very, very positive sign for firms' futures. Um, And yes, those skills may come at a premium, but I think, you know, it's one of those things you may think the skills are expensive, but how expensive would it be not to have them? Yeah, so I think right. firms do need to think about that really quite carefully. Absolutely. Moving on to the last point, which is outsourcing. Um, now, huge numbers of firms outsource and it is a very common business practice and it can be an extremely efficient and cost effective way of supplementing in-house resources, including those skills that we've just been talking about. But it really must, like so many things, be managed and delivered appropriately to be of real benefit. And the pandemic has thrown up some very harsh lights on some of the supply chains and the third parties and the whole question of the strategic viability of outsourcing does need to be considered and then possibly also reconsidered. It may be for some firms that it's a very risk aware decision to bring some activities back in house, shortening supply chains, shortening um, the outsourcing arrangements, particularly perhaps where those outsourced arrangements are in jurisdictions where, you know, what you haven't been able to visit for a year. Are you still completely comfortable that everything is happening in the right way and on a timely basis? Are you sure that given so many jurisdictions are struggling economically, that actually the viability of the outsourcer is still there. Now, I'm not saying everyone stop outsourcing at all, but what I'm saying is there needs to be a very clear-eyed look at all outsourcing arrangements to make sure they still deliver for the firm what they did when you were putting them in place. Mike, words of wisdom on outsourcing? Well, I think this dovetails with third-party management, um, which is um, 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 a, th- a subject that many firms over the years have found difficult. Um, I think that without sourcing third-party management, there is uh, the fundamental point here, I guess, is that 
you really need to treat the third party um, the same as if you were undertaking those op- those operations, those processes um, in internally. You need still you need the same level of management diligence, um, and this can be tricky because you're not dealing with an internal uh, department. You're dealing with an external firm who has their own motives for wanting to deliver you that service. And um, you're right, I think it brings many risks to the fore, some of which you've mentioned, things like uh, the due diligence uh, when onboarding the firm and making sure that they're not going to go bust on you, um, to, um, to trying to achieve the correct level of performance once they are on board, uh, the relationship management skills needed to be able to, to deliver difficult messages when necessary, but also motivate both sides of the relationship to to achieve those uh, objectives. And then you've got things like record keeping that we've chatted about earlier, but record keeping with third parties can be particularly difficult. Uh, Data security with third parties can be be particularly difficult. And there are systems and, and solutions out there that can help manage all of this. But the point is, is that if you get on the wrong road with outsourcing third part and third party management, you can either end up doing a heck of a lot of work that is not necessary, or you could underestimate the situation and not do enough work. And therefore, as you've said, you know, things could go uh, pear-shaped very quickly and could be very uh, and could have very significant implications for the firm because firms are, are, are outsourcing an array of different um, of subjects these days uh, from um, digital digitizing their IT solutions through their client money arrangements through fund management arrangements and yes it has to be said that even you know compliance at times is outsourced depending on the size and profile of the firm and so you know, getting these things right is actually it's at the heart of the of the the firm delivering its strategic objectives, and so this has to be one of the key um, uh, risks for compliance officers uh, going into twenty twenty one. There's but you know, and regulators have not been quiet on this subject either. You know, there's been fines for in the UK for people like Raphael and Son for Aviva. Um, in, in Ireland, there was a subsidiary of JP Morgan fined for regulatory breaches of fund management, um, for fund administration. So the regulators are, are, are hot on this. And I think if we look at every jurisdiction around the world, there will be some form of guidance or regulations around outsourcing and around how firms should go about it. And it's very important that, that firms and compliance officers um, um, stick to those rules and make sure that they're co- they're compliant in an appropriate way. I mean, getting the right balance between good control, effective relationship management, and and not necessarily being intrusive to the third party can be very very difficult. And you and compliance officers are doing all of this under the scrutiny of the regulators, um, and potentially playing with some quite high stakes high-stakes subjects within their firm. They are, and and perhaps the sort of codicil to all of this is that the regulators themselves are starting to focus more and more on potential concentration risk where firms have 
all outsourced the same, say, cloud provider. And that is another factor to um, consider with all of this. I mean, if, if all of, oh, I don't know, the banks in America or the asset managers in Australia, whatever it happens to be, are all outsourcing um, to the, the same cloud provider, that is a very big concentration risk in and of itself, which the regulators are getting increasingly interested in. So it's perhaps the viability of outsourcing from a different perspective where you can no longer use a particular um, cloud service provider, say, because everybody else is using it. And that is too high a concentration risk. So there yeah, are lots exactly. of elements for outsourcing to consider. Um, absolutely. You have a whole yeah. plethora of them and, and, yeah. and absolutely fundamental, I would say. Mm. On that note, thank you very much, Mike, as ever. And thank you for listening to this episode of Compliance Clarified. We do hope you found it uh, interesting and useful. You can download uh, an expert talk version of the five key risks article in the episode notes. We mentioned the FinTech RegTech and Roller Compliance Report a couple of times in our discussion. And you, there is a link to that also in the episode notes. And you can find further information on Thomson Reuters Regulatory Intelligence. Now, last but not least, we'd very much appreciate it if you could and would take the time to review the podcast and please let us know any suggestions you may have for future topics to be discussed on Compliance Clarified. Goodbye. Compliance Clarified, a podcast by Thomson Reuters Regulatory Intelligence.